It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA. From the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. What's happened before? It happened again. And the same talking points are already coming out. And after 26 and a half months in office, President Trump finally uses his veto power. And it's Friday. The donkey is shame is going to take a romp. But first, give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Bottom line on a gorgeous Friday afternoon. Rob Francis Ed Dawson hanging with you on this, the Ides of March. 547-1610, you want to get involved in the program. Also, via email, 610kona.com, on Twitter at BottomLine610. Joining us on the program from the Washington Policy Center, he is the environmental expert, Mr. Todd Meyer. Good afternoon to you, Todd. How are you? I am great. How are you? Well, we're doing all right, but we know that after Wednesday in the state legislature, there are some things that are a cause for concern, to put it mildly. <laughs> Uh, let's start with the passage of something that voters in Washington State have said no to on multiple occasions, but for some reason, certain members of the legislature don't like to take no for an answer, and that is the ever-persistent carbon tax. Yeah, there is not one, not two, but three versions of a carbon tax this year, one that has already passed out of the Senate Transportation Committee. Um, now, the anything that has a fiscal impact, what's, what's called uh, necessary to implement the budget, can be voted on right up to the very end of the session. But um, we do have one, which is a carbon tax that was very similar to what we just voted down last fall. It would be a $15 per metric ton of carbon dioxide tax, which is $0.13 cents per, rel- per gallon of gas, plus an additional $0.06 cents uh, of gas tax. And the reason they do it that way is by the state constitution, that gas tax can only go to road maintenance and construction, but the carbon tax can be used for anything they want. And we estimate that the cost for a household in eastern Washington would be about 275 additional dollars a year uh, just for that proposal. Now, Todd, let me ask you, okay, because right now we have the second highest gas tax in the nation behind Pennsylvania. How much of the current gas tax are you aware of that has gone solely to transportation? Well, the gas tax um, does is required by the state constitution to go to road maintenance construction, but they, they are trying to find ways around that. So your car tabs, um, other sales taxes, and other things like that, local sales taxes, can all be used for transit and uh, you know in, in king county in the west side of the mountains um, we've taxed the heck out of ourselves to build light rail and a variety of other things but they're trying to find ways around that um, not just with the carbon tax but with road usage charges so that they can use the money more money for transit and less for roads we're talking with todd meyer from the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. So, why, after multiple times, 
that Washington voters have said, we don't want this. Why is the state legislature continuing to push something like this through, knowing full well that a backlash could be coming their way? Well, because they feel like, at least the Democrat majority, feels like they expanded their majority, which they did in both the House and Senate. And so they now have larger margins in the legislature to pass things that they simply could not in previous years. And so although the voters directly voted against a carbon tax, they feel like they have the political mandate um, as, a, as a party to do some of those things. The carbon tax that has passed already is just one example. Next Thursday, there will be a hearing on uh, what's called cap and trade. And basically, the bill is almost identical to uh, the initiative we just voted down, 1631, except instead of using a straight tax, it uses what's called a cap and trade system, which is extremely volatile and is what California uses. But the money would be used for all sorts of social justice um, and other government programs. Um, so what we just voted down is getting reconsidered before the legislature next Thursday. So will any of these three pieces of legislation that you mentioned, if, say, all three get passed, will there, will there be an attempt to work them into one solid piece of legislation, or are we looking at multiple levels of gas taxes? I think it's very unlikely that all three of them would pass. However, what's interesting was that the the gas tax, the first one that I mentioned um, that was sent, passed out of the Senate Transportation Committee, um, Governor Inslee was asked about that, and he said, oh, that's not a carbon policy. That's a, uh, a policy for uh, fixing fish culverts and other things like that. So he actually didn't even consider that carbon and gas tax combination to be a climate policy, and he would consider other legislation on top of that. I think at the end of the day, that would be very unlikely because the cost would be absolutely astronomical in the back, and they would be afraid of the backlash that you're talking about. Um, but at least in the mind of some people, and perhaps the governor, those things aren't incompatible. Just stunning to me, Todd. Absolutely stunning. We're talking with Todd Meyer from the Washington Policy Center. He is the environmental expert uh, on the WPC arm here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Todd, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery about, uh, oh, 150 years ago, and uh, yet we're talking about slavery uh, specifically in the agriculture world. What, what is this about? Well, a um, state senator from downtown Seattle um, proposed legislation that would require farmers to track um, potential human rights violations anywhere in the world for products or uh, people in their supply chain and to report that. Now, of course, this is not a um, requirement that we have of any other industries, just farmers. Um, and the irony is, of course, that farmers um, are probably the most conscientious about uh, working with immigrants with the, um, the visas and H-2A um, and being very careful to maintain high labor standards. They have a lot of requirements already. So um, a lot of farmers really took this as insulting, as if they weren't already uh, being very conscientious. And so it, it sort of got the name of the ag slavery bill. And last Wednesday, 
um, bills had to pass out of the original chamber that they were introduced in. And this is one of the bills that died. Now, it, it, almost anything can be resurrected in the legislature, so it's not dead until the legislature is gone. But that was good news, at least, that it, it didn't reach that hurdle. We're talking with Todd Meyer of the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 at KONA. Uh, we're starting to see some things, Todd, happening on the west side. And, and I, I follow me on, on where I'm going with this because it may not sound right up, right up front like it is uh, environmentally connected, but it seems that there's more and more growing concern on the west side of the state, especially in state-owned property, where a lot of the larger homeless encampments are breaking off, going to smaller encampments, and creating some havoc in state-owned lands, fires and different things like that. And people are looking at the governor and wondering why he isn't saying or doing anything when he is supposed to be the environmental guy, the, 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 the guy who is protecting and preserving, when there's state property that's being run over by these smaller encampments that are starting to break off and move up and down highways. Is this something that's, that if you're aware of, is this something that's just beginning, or is this something that's now getting so far out of control that it's going to cause another issue in the Seattle area, especially with state-owned lands? I think you're starting to see a recognition of this. I can tell you that when I used to work at the Washington State Department of Natural Resources, uh, one of the first um, experiences I had this was went out into the forest near Mount Rainier that was owned by the Department of Natural Resources where there was a meth lab. And these were homeless folks who had built a meth lab in the middle of a state forest, and they had ammonia and, and other chemicals that you really didn't want to be around um, out there in the forest. So this is a long-standing problem, and I think you're right. I think it is getting worse. In fact, I was at an event last year and talking about pollution in Puget Sound, and uh, a representative of Washington State University who does very good work on stormwater said that he was starting to see chemicals in the water that he hadn't seen before and that his hypothesis was that it was coming from the increase in homelessness and some of the runoff um, from homeless encampments that was getting into the water. So I think there's a variety of indications that those that homelessness is having, you know, a number of different impacts, you know, uh, uh, safety, um, you know, our offices in South Seattle, I can tell you that uh, we have safety concerns and we've seen problems here, but also environmentally. So there's there's a number of different problems that we're seeing with the with the rise in, in unchecked homelessness. You know, one of the interesting things too, Todd, and we're talking with Todd Meyer with the Washington Policy Center, uh, that I noticed when I was looking at the, the piece of carbon legislation that came out of the Senate uh, is the exemptions. And the exemptions of those who would have to pay the tax would once again go back to a company who many people feel are being let off the hook any time an environmental policy comes through the legislature, and that being Boeing. Um, is is there any uh, – are you hearing any blowback or brushback that, that the, uh, the airlines – uh, plane manufacturers, railroads, and vessels being exempt from uh, an increase in the gas tax. Uh, are you hearing any blowback on that? So I think that there is a lot of frustration in systems that are unfair. For instance, the cap-and-trade system that I talked about that's going to be heard next week um, is a very complicated um, system 
that actually one um, oil company is supporting, and they're supporting it because the complications allow them um, to game the system. Use you know with lobby because they have lawyers and lobbyists and accountants, they can work the system in a way that small businesses simply cannot. In the case of the carbon tax, though, exempting Boeing um, and um, ships and airplanes and other things like that is actually probably a good thing because what we don't want to have is to have energy prices go up um, and drive those businesses out of the state. I mean, Boeing has already moved a portion of its operations out of the state. We uh, almost lost aluminum manufacturing a couple of years ago due to high energy costs and, and international uh, competition. So I, I certainly sympathize with the unfairness, and we objecting. One of the reasons we're objecting to the cap-and-trade system is because of that unfairness. But you also don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face. And, and as bad as carbon taxes can be, it would be even worse if we drove uh, those jobs and those businesses out of the state. But doesn't this piece of legislation increase energy costs anyway? It absolutely will, and there's no question that economy-wide, and, and even for those industries that are you know, sort of exempt, we'll still have to pay it in the form of higher transportation and gas costs and elsewhere, sort of indirectly. So yes, they are not off the hook. There's, that is true. But, you know, remember that, that gas companies don't pay. If we, if we put the, the tax, the carbon tax on, um, you know, gas companies, they pass those costs on to us. So exempting Boeing, exempting food manufacturing, which some of the bills do, um, you know, does it, it raises the cost, but it raises the cost primarily to consumers and not just to those companies. Now, a couple of years back, we're talking with Todd Meyer from the Washington Policy Center. Uh, Todd's the environmental expert with WPC. A couple of years back, uh, I think it it wasn't 1639. I think it was the one, or not, I'm sorry, not 1630, 1631. I think it was the one before 1631, if I remember correctly, that had uh, rebates inside the initiative for uh, those in the lower income brackets to try and offset uh the gas tax increase, the energy increases. Are there anything, are there any kind of um, rebates or any kind of incentives to try and offset for those in lower income brackets in any of these pieces of legislation? There are here and there little um, government programs that are funded to help that. But the problem with those is that the poor and lower income tend you often have to fill out forms and apply for those rebates and a small percentage of folks actually do that initiative 732 which was the revenue neutral carbon tax which you're referring to rather than simply you know relying on people who are low income to apply for those which they you know likely don't it lowered um, sales taxes by one percentage point and then also lowered some business taxes. So it, it was, um, in large part, a straight swap. We'll lower sales and business taxes and we'll increase the energy taxes to try to reduce the very impact that you're seeing. The proposals that we see this year don't do that. They don't lower any taxes. They simply say, okay, if you're poor, you can apply for assistance. But, you know, that's another bureaucratic barrier um, to people um, who are probably going to end up paying higher costs. And so um, while they may promise that it will help the poor deal with the costs, the actual real-world implementation of that is, is generally going to be very poor. We're talking with Todd Meyer with the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line Friday afternoon. One more question for you, Todd, before we let you go. Um, are we going to begin to see any kind of proposed legislation that will incentivize uh 
industry incentivize entrepreneurs to try and find ways to get us to this environmental utopia that the governor wants to get us to instead of just going the tax route, which we know that you can't tax uh, the climate into better health. Are we are we hearing or seeing any kind of, of legislation to try and spur the the business sector, the industry sector to create things to help us go in that direction instead of just taxes? This is a fantastic point, and I really appreciate the question because one of the things I tell people is that every day is, is an Earth Day in a free market because individuals and businesses have the incentive to use less gasoline, less water. Farmers want to use less fertilizer every single day because there is a cost associated with it. And they do the best, and, and we see that every day. Um, we just did an event on Wednesday night in the Tri-Cities where we invited um, the head of the forestry program at the Yakima Tribe. And one of the things he said is that the way they cleaned up their forests so that they were more healthy and less fire-prone is that they built a mill on the tribal reservation to mill that lumber. And it was a market approach rather than a government-mandated approach. And you see that time and again. Unfortunately, politics, politicians want to take credit uh, for doing things. They don't want to give power back to individuals. They want to take credit for themselves by going the government route. But when you compare the market approach and personal responsibility and individual um, efforts to the government approach, the market approach works better. In fact, there was a study last year that asked people who were, you know, were they concerned about the climate, climate change? And what they found was is that people who said they were most skeptical of climate science also were the most environmentally friendly in their day-to-day activities. And the people who said they were most afraid of climate change did the least for the environment day-to-day. And that's because uh, a lot of people who are conservative, who are on the right, don't outsource our environmental concern to the government. We take personal responsibility. That's the route we need to go. That's where you see the best environmental improvements on a day-to-day basis. Todd Meyer with the Washington Policy Center. Thanks so much for your time this Friday. Always appreciate the conversation, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. It was nice to talk to you. Have a good weekend. All right, Todd, you too. Todd Meyer with the Washington Policy Center. We come back, we'll digest. Tell you what, Ed, it's, um, you know, I, I, I guess it continues to surprise, but after all this time, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that the government continues to try and find ways to act like Arnold Horshack in the back of Mr. Cotter's class when they don't know the answer to the question ultimately. That's a great reference, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA 547-1610 to join the discussion. Back after this. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the Bottom Lines page at 610KONA.com. Back to the Bottom Line, presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610 KONA. This is the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. We're going to go right to the phones. We've got a caller standing by. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Cliff. I'm in Sunnyside. Hi, Cliff. you got about a minute. What's on your mind? It's very quick. We talk about killing all the time, everywhere. And one of the biggest killers in our state is railroads. They killed 165 what they call trespassers in the last eight years. Were you aware of that? I had seen that. Thank you very much for the call. That is uh, 
You know, it's something that hasn't uh, hasn't been talked about a whole lot. In fact, uh, there was just uh, an incident when yesterday, I believe, in uh, in uh, the Yakima in Yakima County, if I'm not mistaken. Um, appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Five four seven one six ten five zero nine five four seven one six ten. You can email us by going to the website six ten k o n a dot com. Go to the bottom line page and send us your question or your comments. Plenty more to go. This uh, program, it's Friday after all, Rob, and before the uh, the show is done, we'll have our donkey of shame. Oh, yeah. Of course we will. Being Friday and kind of a thing that we do, so. The first donkey of shame of Lent. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Well, it is. It it's is Lent. now, it's I guess. The first donkey of shame of Lent. Is, is that is that a hint as to whom you are going to place on the donkey? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'd have to look for someone that's a vegan. Maybe. I don't know. Going to take a time out, get you some local news. More of the program. It's the area's only live local call-in talk show, The Bottom Line, here on News Radio 610-KONA. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to The Bottom Line with Robin Ed, presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610-KONA. Bottom Line, News Radio 610-KONA, Friday afternoon, Rob Francis Ed Dawson. Five four seven one six ten. If you want to get involved in the program, um, yet another senseless tragedy happens in the world. Forty nine people killed in their place of worship. Absolutely senseless. No motive is has been really established as of yet. A lot of well, the information you, is still being put together. You could you could speculate on what the motive is, but we, we we don't really know as of right now a lot of information, with the exception of forty nine people who were in prayer were gunned down in New Zealand. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. Your name, where are you calling from? Hi, this is Brian from Kennewick. What's on your mind, Brian? Well, it was a great uh, interview at the top of the show. I wanted to talk a little bit about the trickle-down of that. Go right ahead. Already. But, uh, you know, whenever they raise the gas tax, there's always a tendency for people to try to tighten the belt and use less. And as soon as we start using less gas, the state decides that we're not getting enough revenue from the gas tax, and they keep jacking the tax up. I just recently uh, finished a year-long pilot with the Washington State Road Usage Committee, and that's where they were testing uh, a way to tax vehicles based on the miles driven. And they used a, a factor of 2.1 cents per gallon or per mile and tried to equate it to the amount of uh, gas tax you'd pay, assuming a particular kind of vehicle and a estimated miles per gallon. And in every case, each month statement I got, it cost me more using this new road usage charge than the previous method. And I also learned that even when I drove into either Oregon or Idaho, 
our state now has a reciprocity agreement that if we were to go to this road usage charge, that any time we drove into Idaho or Oregon, we would be charged a penny a mile in those states, and somehow those states would transfer money back and forth for people that were going around. So this whole thing with Inslee wanting to raise gas tax, you know, and the carbon tax and that kind of thing, you know, there's a whole domino effect of of uh, what's going to happen with tax rates and how much we're going to end up having to pay, and it seems like it's always more. You know what, Brian? Couldn't agree more. And it is. It's never it's never ending. And unfortunately, there is a portion of the population of our state that doesn't understand that. You know, one of the things that we didn't get into with Todd Meyer is how many counties voted in favor of sixteen thirty one, which was the most recent carbon tax proposal. There are how many counties in Washington State? Uh, 39 total. 39. 36 voted against it. There were only three counties that voted in favor of 1631. That means... The three most populous ones, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, King, Pearson, no, it wasn't one of them, the third most populous. It was, it was a small one, I think Thurston. No, not Thurston. Um, I can't remember, but it was a smaller county uh, oh, okay. that also voted with it, but... Regardless of the size, there are a number of Democrats that were elected to the state legislature outside of those three counties that voted in favor of the carbon tax, the the 1631 initiative. They are going against the will of their representation by voting in favor of something like this. Look, the... The Democratic Party has been trying to create and raise taxes for ever. Yeah, well, maybe not forever, but for a very long time. And this just happens to be the latest way they choose to justify it. That we need more money for more programs and and more things at the state level. Oh, and by the way, you know, we think it might put a, you know, a dent in, you know, this combating climate change and and the air pollution and, you know, this, that and the other thing, whether they actually believe that or not. um, I don't know. But this is just the latest justification for raising taxes, because, no, it is never enough, because there's always going to be something that somebody is going to want funding for, not just anybody, but you know, there's there's funding is always going to be needed, justified or not, and this is a way that they want to pay for it this time. See, if we had an issue in our state where there was a deficit or we were, you know, really tight around the belt when it came to taking care of programs and things like that. I can see where you're coming from. We have more revenue in this state than we have ever had before. We don't need to continue to increase taxes because there isn't anything that's not being funded. Now we're, we've got a state legislature that's playing create a program 
and trying to take whatever they can take just so they can try and argue that they don't have enough and they need to take more. No, but, that's my but, point. I agree what they, completely. What they it, need to take is responsibility. No, they're not going to. No, but then, I mean, it, this is the stuff. This is, the, this is the exact stuff that drives me nuts. It drives me absolutely bonkers. That feeling of utter helplessness when you know that there is nothing you can do to prevent the fact that a bunch of people on the other side of the state are going to turn around and tell you that you're going to have more money coming out of your bottom line and your paycheck. You're going to you're the states because they can do it and you can't stop them and they don't care. Yeah, that's that. That sums it up pretty that's nicely. That's the beginning of a revolution. That's the start of civil well, wars. That's, that's why we're talking about breaking away. Not that that's going to happen, but that's why it's gaining momentum now. Let's go back to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. News Radio six ten K O N A. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Fellas, it's Mike, and it's Friday. Mike, you are correct. It is Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, we go through this a lot in education. We add and add and add and add and add, but they have a very hard time taking things away. So if you had a Seattle phone book and you were holding it, and I put five more phone books on top of you and said, oh, we got all these new products, we got all these new things, new ideas, new concepts, new programs, we're going to do all this. And then next year, guess what? I put five more phone books and tell you to hold them. After a while, you just bust. And you're not busting because you can't do it. You're busting because it's too much. And the state has a wonderful way of add, 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 but they don't ever take anything away. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Well, that's because Democrats have controlled it for 40 years. Well... And again, not not justifying at all, but you one could argue and they have that the population goes up. And I was going to, you know, to Mike's point in education, that is the justification for increases in spending and programs and things like that is because there's constantly more kids entering the public school system. Uh, even as more parents are choosing to homeschool or go a different route, uh, there still continues to be more kids in the public school system. Therefore, we need more funding, which I get. But um, it, it's it, look, it's it's the difference between the two philosophies. It's not just political, but it's ideological, conservative and liberal. The liberals want to keep adding and adding and adding because we need to do this to help slash protect people or whatever. And the conservatives say, okay, that's nice, but we got to take care of the other side too in that we need to also cut back or be smarter about how we go about managing the situation. Let's go back to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? James up here in Ellensburg. Hi, James. What's up? I believe it was uh, Jim Honeyford's bill about the time change stopping it. What's its status? Uh, the time change, uh, yeah, going on to uh, permanent uh, daylight saving time, it's it's through. 
uh, you know, it was it, almost unanimous out of the yeah, Senate. Yeah, the Senate. So now where they're at, James, appreciate the call, is now the House is is looking at all of the bills the Senate passed and vice versa. And if I'm not mistaken, there is also a House bill to that effect, too, um, that passed. And if they both pass the opposite chambers, the 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 authors or whoever will get together because it's probably just a minute there difference. There were some subtle differences yeah. with, uh, with Honeyford's bill. Yeah, and they can they can go and try to consolidate and reconcile those differences. And uh, but again, it, the two chambers can pass it. Inslee can sign it, but it's still up to Congress. It's still up to Congress. Not to say that that's going to be a huge roadblock, but don't don't be fooled that just if it, if governor signs it, it is not necessarily the new law of the land. We got to wait for Congress's approval. Five four seven one six ten is the number. Five zero nine five four seven one six ten. This is the bottom line. News Radio six ten K O N A. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610. You can email us too. Just go to the website, 610KONA.com. Go to the bottom line page and send us your question or your comment. Ed Dawson, Rob Francis, and you. Here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. And as we were uh, discussing briefly at the beginning of the last segment, um, a gunman walked into two mosques in New Zealand, opened fire, killing 49 people while they were in their sanctuary. Um, if I. Remember reading correctly, it is the largest such incident, uh, the largest loss of life in the country's history uh, when it came to an incident like this. And it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you never hear about stuff like this in Australia, New Zealand, anything like that, right? Very rarely. Very, very rarely. rarely. Um, The the immediate call, um, the prime minister has said, well, the gun laws are going to change. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, the usual that you hear, instead of the focus being on the individual, the reasons for the individual doing what they did, uh, focus on the families, on trying to help them deal and cope with the tragedy, not try to explain it because it's not explainable. But just to try and begin to pick up the pieces of a life that is going to be a little more difficult to live now. I and and we've we've had this conversation, unfortunately, quite a bit. Um, you know, whether it's in the United States or, or elsewhere, that the the first reaction is to tighten gun laws, and kind of something that you alluded to, Rob, was that. You know, instead of focusing on what caused it, well, in this case, it was thoughts, beliefs, ideology. So unless we can legislate thoughts, beliefs, and ideologies, the the people that are calling for tighter gun restrictions believe that, and I'm just guessing, 
that this is the only thing that they can do. There's the one thing that they can actually control in this whole scenario. So they've got to do that because you can't you you can't keep somebody from from turning, you know, to this life. You know, you're up with the bottom line. News Radio 610 K. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys, this is Chris from Arizona. What's up, Chris? So they want to tighten their gun laws. Have you guys seen New Zealand's gun laws? Yeah, they're pretty strict as it is. In order to have a handgun, you got to belong to a shooting club. You can't, that gun can't even leave the lockbox of that shooting club unless you're going to a shooting competition at another shooting club. Then at that point, it has to be put in a lockbox and stored. Basically the same with a rifle. You have to belong to shooting clubs. And it's, I don't know how much tighter you can get than to just ban any kind of weapon that would fire a projectile using black powder. For God's sakes, are, are they going to eliminate cannons? Or do we even have cannons anymore? I don't know. I've seen T-shirt cannons at sporting events. but Thanks for the call, Chris. And, and you know what, Chris? And Chris is absolutely right. You know the kicker in all this? The This uh, this guy that shot up the mosque, mm-hmm. he had his guns legally. He did. He amassed them over the course of a year. They, he did not break any laws in New Zealand by acquiring and owning the weapons that he used. And and now so what the, do you do? You right. Know? Well, now the prime minister wants to make the laws tighter, which all that does is that harms law-abiding citizens because law-abiding citizens are the ones who look at things like gun laws and go, okay, this is what I have to do. Then this is what I'll do. I'm still going to own a gun, but I, I can't own this many or I have to go in this direction or I can't buy a, an ammo cartridge that contains this much. But they do what they can to comply with the law. It's it's the criminals who don't. It's the criminals that no matter what law you put in place are going to flaunt it, are still going to be able to get whatever kind of gun they want. They're still going to be able to use it to a degree they want because laws do not apply to them. The laws apply to the law abiding. And, and here's, you know, and I mentioned prior to the caller, why... The left immediately wants tighter gun restrictions because that's the one thing that can be controlled in a unspeakable crime like this. On the other side, what do most people on the right tend to do? Well, we've got and we got it. We got the thoughts and prayers out there. Why? Because many people believe that you can't stop anything like this from happening and that the only thing that you can do is offer condolences and be sorry for the people that that did you know that had to go through this so both sides i don't know if they feel helpless or not but both sides gravitate towards those two reactions because both believe that the only the only way to sort out such a, a a crazy situation is to do what both sides always do. But it doesn't ultimately solve anything in the end. All it does Neither is, one. Neither yeah, one does. All it does no. is hamper law abiding citizens, you know, which which to me, how sincere are you being in attacking a problem when you're punishing those that obey it legally? That's that's the first thing. But on the other side, the thoughts and prayers, what are you gonna do other than that? 
I, I mean, really, what well, are you Well, that's what I just got yeah, done yeah, saying. Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing else you can do other than that, even banning guns. We've seen Chicago. Hello? You know, you ban a gun. Everybody it's feels helpless. Just ridiculous. Everybody feels helpless when, when something like this happens. They feel horrible. And they feel helpless. It's like we've got to. Can't we stop this? This no. is this is no. I know, but <laughs> yeah, this, we can't. This is, this is what we. This is, but the, that's the initial reaction. As humans, as human beings, we don't want to see other human beings mowed down in their place of worship. So, what can we do? Well, the the next thing is what you just said. Well, there really isn't anything we can do. So let's. Let's be a, a, as gracious and nice as we possibly can, while the other side is the only thing they can grasp onto is tighter gun restrictions. That's that's the only thing. You you can't you can't stop and you can't control evil. You can't control people that are dead set on, may, on doing an evil deed. You can't legislate that. You can't prevent that. You taking away guns doesn't do it either. You can't be prepared for or stop evil to the degree that we saw last night.